Another Way to Play, Episode 34. This is Josh Alhadith, President of DSB Investments. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should listen to Another Way to Play with my friend Hans Shazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone who I've been trying to get on the show for quite a while, but uh, because, among other things, he just had his first child, we had to push it back several times. Uh, it is Josh Alhadef, founder and owner of DSB Investments. They buy, build, manage, and reposition investment property throughout the Seattle and Puget Sound regions. Uh, Josh and I have a really great conversation today, and there's a number of things that you're going to want to listen up for. The first of which is a story about he him deciding whether or not to go back to school for a master's degree and consulting with a mentor, talking about if you stick through a tough market, because this was 2009 at the time when the market in real estate especially was pretty low. If you stuck with it, you'd come out with a PhD in real estate as opposed to just a master's in business. You're also going to want to listen for his conversation about his first job title when he first started his investment company and why he ultimately chose to call himself a janitor. And we do have a good conversation about passion. Uh, he, he talks about having curiosity and passion sort of at the heart of whatever it is you're doing, um, because especially as a self-employed or entrepreneurial type person, uh, having those two uh, wins at your back, if you will, will keep you moving forward and keep your motivation strong. Uh, so before we get into uh, the conversation today, I want to remind you uh, that if you get value out of this or any other episode to go into iTunes and hit a rating and review because uh, it definitely helps me both with feedback and the algorithm. If you want to take that feedback a little farther, head down into my show notes, uh, go check uh, for my Calendly link, get on my calendar. Let's spend 15 or 20 minutes chatting, getting to know one another. I'd love to ask you a couple questions on how to keep making this podcast even better. Uh, and I'll obviously get to know you personally as well. So without any further ado, uh, here is my conversation with Josh Alhada. Josh, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I'm really excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you, Hans. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had a, a couple of months here. We were trying to get together to record this, so I'm glad we finally made it happen. Um, so we heard you know, what you're doing now and, and some of the ventures that you're into at the current moment. But why don't you, before we get there, back up, build us a little bit of context and, and tell us kind of where your story began. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my story began from a, you know, real estate investor and developer standpoint, I guess, really during the recession. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I was a, a product of this past recession kind of right the recession hit for me like just a year or two after graduating college. So 
just kind of right in that fundamental stage of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, but I mean, a little bit before that, you know, I grew up in Seattle, went to high school um, here in Seattle, and then went to college out of state, returned back, always had an interest uh, in this area and in construction. Um, as a kid, my dad was actually a home builder for a while. So, you know, I got dragged around to the construction sites and, and watching houses getting framed up and stuff like that. And that always had sparked an interest in me. And I always knew I, I kind of wanted to go into, I always thought construction in one way or another. Um, you know, when I was younger, I did work for some framing crews. And, and actually when I came out of college before the recession, I was with a developer um, as a project superintendent building uh, a commercial structure on the east side. Um, and then obviously when the recession hit in September of 07, uh, you know, that whole, his whole kind of project fell apart and, and that part of the market just had the carpet pulled out from under it. So um, anyway, you know, I worked on a few things up, up through then until now. And, uh, and here we are, it's been about 10 years. It's been 10 years of me since I started DSB investments um, started that in 2009 and uh, it's been a pretty good run and definitely learned a lot along the way. So, so looking back at the, like, obviously the timing for many of us at this age was um, unfortunate coming out of college in either immediately or shortly after leaving college, like the recession hits and then, you know, your, your job prospects go from, you know, reasonable to nothing. Um, it sounds like you, you sort of fell back on what it is that uh, you grew up doing, which was in the real estate world. And, and that's where you landed, um, which is sort of interesting because it was a real estate based recession, right? And, and most people were kind of scared of or trying to get away from real estate, but you got into it. Like, why was that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I feel kind of fortunate, I guess, and, and there's things you control and things you can't control. Um, things I can't control being my age. And I was just at the right point where when graduating college was still, like you said, for some of us, I mean, it was booming. Like everybody I know in my graduating class, like had jobs and signing bonuses and like, you know, it was good times and loose money. And, you know, we thought that the party would never end. And, and that's just how the world was. But that only lasted for about a year. Uh, you know, I graduated in 2006. So I guess I was fortunate in that I got to see the good times, but I wasn't in a working position very long where I had anything to lose in the recession. I didn't have any assets. I didn't have any, any real skin in the game. So seeing the recession, like being there for it, I wasn't actually really like, you know, I didn't lose my fortune per se. Like, you know, I'm watching the people I was working for and watching other yep. people around yep. and mentors, you know, actually that had, you know, skin in the game. And then you're seeing the blood on the streets um, so it was a really good learning experience without like, I guess, actually being really too hurt by it, uh, except for what you said, like, you know, your job prospects are gone. Like everything is just kind of, it was very doom and gloom for a long time. And I did lose my job with the guy that I was working with in development. And I really, all I could fall back on was that construction. And that's, that's all I had ever known. So I was thinking about going back to school, um, you know, getting a, a master's and actually a mentor of mine at the time 
uh, who, you know, he was actually a, a big time developer too, that seemed to have timed it pretty well where he didn't get too hurt in a recession. He told me kind of the opposite. He goes, you know, schooling was never my favorite thing to do. And he was like, you can go back and get a master's in business and real estate. He's like, or you can stick through this and, and go to work and be a part of what's coming up. And he's like, and you're going to come out of it with a PhD. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't pull, I, you know, those words are, are so much more true today because just being a part of what happened through this expansion, I mean, it really is, it's more knowledge than I would have ever gotten, not discrediting, you know, getting a, a great education, <laughs> but uh, of course. I'm glad that I did stick through it. And uh, I was working for a, actually a, an assisted living company um, hired me in 2009 to basically GC and flip their apartments as, as they turned them for the elderly units for for the, excuse me, elderly patients. And when I was doing that, I kind of realized like, you know, I could, I could flip these apartments on my own. Um, And one thing kind of led to another and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I love a lot about what you just said. Um, Backing up because that apartment light bulb moment that you had in the elderly care facility sounds uh, it's actually something I want to touch on, but before we get there, I'd like to back up to your comment about your mentor and, and the PhD of going through something. Um, mm-hmm. You clearly, like a lot of people who come on the show have mentors and have them at various stages in their life and talk very highly of them. Um, and I think a lot of, that's something that like a coach or a mentor is something that's generally missing in the business world at large. And I think, I think, you know, for most people who are out there in, in corporate America, they don't have that person for them. Can you talk briefly about your engagement with your mentor, how you found that person, um, how you knew it was a good fit, and then, you know, some of the things that uh, maybe would have been different had you not listened to that person's advice? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think um, I think it's very, I think mentorship is very, very important in anyone's success and in anyone's kind of personal development, um, you know, whether it's business or, I mean, another thing that's fresh on my mind is, is having a baby and it's, you know, when, when you're having a baby and it's a new baby, you're probably going to look to your parents for questions, right? Like it's people have done whatever it is you're doing for the most part. And so I think getting their guidance and finding people who are successful at it is, um, it's extremely important. And I found, I found a good mentor that, you know, he had done what, what I wanted to do and then the business I wanted to get into and, you know, sharp guy and a nice guy. And I just, I think you need to surround yourself around those people and just kind of observe them, see what it is they're doing, you know, like what, what kind of moves are they making in their business? How are they moving and shaking? What are their habits? What are they, you know, how do they treat people? How do they act on things? What are they, you know, what publications are they reading um, that help influence their decision? Uh, and not just have one, you know, I've got those business mentors that are people that are, are strictly, you know, people I would consider now, you know, friends and mentors. And then, you know, even someone like my father is a huge mentor. Um, you know, people, you know, I've, I've relied on, you know, my attorneys and, and CPAs as, as big mentors too. Uh, just people who are in the industry who work with other people, do what I do and and maybe see it through a different lens or can kind of share some insight on it uh, is is highly valuable because you can kind of take what they're giving you, um, see what they're doing and 
obviously digest it in your own way and, and hopefully put your own spin on it to help you get to that next step. That's fantastic. Um, thinking back to that sort of fork in the road of going back for a master's or, uh, you know, digging into a depressed economy and, and trying to figure out how to, how to make that work. Like, you know, as a, as a young person, just a couple of years out of school, it's gotta be like a daunting task. And obviously in the long run it paid off, but like in that moment, can you take us through that decision process and what ultimately made you, uh, dig in and and get into the real estate space to earn that phd of heart from the school of hard knocks yeah absolutely um well like you said i mean when when that recession hit it left kind of people just like you didn't know what to do or what you should be doing uh you just didn't know where to turn and so you know going back to school is i don't want to say the easy out but it was you know, it would keep you busy. It was a good conversation piece. If someone says like, what are you doing? You can say I'm in school, right? You don't have to say like, I'm looking for a job or something like that. But yeah, uh, the truth is, I mean, I think I, I said this earlier, but school was not my favorite. Um, I'm much more of a hands-on learner. You know, I've always benefited from, you know, I want to take something apart and see how it's built. I don't want to read about it. Uh, so, you know, that that helped definitely push my decision in saying, let's dig in. Um, and it was just thinking that like, I'd rather, I'd rather try to figure it out and see, you know, turn over the stones and see what's under them. Um, and not miss an opportunity. I think one of the things that really resonated with me, what he said is like, you know, when the op- there is going to be opportunity on the other side of this and no one knew when it was going to be or in what shape it was going to come in. But in order to, to seize an opportunity, you have to be there for it. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to miss out on that. Uh, and I knew that if I stuck in it and just figured something out, um, you know, you'd, you'd be present for one opportunity knocks. That's, that's so true. I mean, just my, my dad always says you have to, um, showing or what is it showing up is is 80 percent or 90 percent and then the other 10 is like what you know something like that it's like you have to be in the game or be at the field or whatever analogy you want to put on it uh to to win and then the rest you know just physically being there is is part of it and then knowing what to do with it is obviously the part that kicks it across the goal line right but i mean being there's half is it's more than half of it because if you're there, you're going to be a part of the action and, you know, the action's not going to come find you if, if you're not there or present or kind of mixing yourself around it. Um, you definitely need to show up. The action is not going to find you. I, lo- I love that. That's if you put that on, on a tweet or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Show how much I use Twitter the way I said that. But <laughs> um, anyways, uh, to, uh, totally agree. Like getting involved, getting dirty with it, getting in the trenches, just trying and and being ready for something, whether you know what it is or not. Like that is that is such a crucial part of uh, I think most stories, especially on the show. As a young person getting into this industry, because I think one uh, real estate investing and specifically apartments and and that sort of thing, especially at a high dollar volume. Uh, generally people think that's like an old person's game, right? It's like an old boys club. You've had to have a ton of experience. Like you got into this world relatively young and have 
built up a pretty sizable portfolio and company in the last 10 years. Um, can you talk about sort of starting out as a younger person in a, in an industry that has that stigma around being sort of an old boys, uh, network or needing a ton of experience to be successful and then how you've sort of stayed the course through that time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you did hit it right on the head. It's definitely not like, uh, I don't think anything is you just, it's not going to be given to you. Right. And, and I was young when I started this, I was 24. Um, and that's hard for a lot of people to, to take you seriously. So there were, there were two, kind of two sides to how I played that out was one, nobody was going to bring me uh, these deals. And, and like I said earlier, you, you know, you had to get in the action. The action wasn't going to find you. And one of the ways I did that was um, I went out and got my real estate broker's license and, and started my company DSP as, as actually a brokerage firm, but not in, not with the goals basically of brokering deals, but just really that, I could get the insight into what deals were being listed, what was going to transact because nobody was going to bring them to me. So the first couple of deals I did, um, I actually sourced and self brokered. Uh, and then that's one of those things where, you know, they say, it, you know, money makes money and it, it takes money to make money. But once I'd gotten a few down and, and people started recognizing that there was credibility there and, and that I was serious, then, it kind of starts to grow legs on its own, but it's really that first piece of of getting in there and, and getting your foot in the door and, and making people, you know, remember you, shaking their hands, um, you know, acting serious and knowing that it's it's what you want to do. Uh, the other thing where I think there's, you know, I said there's things you can control. That's one of the things I could control. I could go out, get my broker's license. I could call on deals. I could basically source all of that stuff and put it together. The things I couldn't control again was the timing. And I think that um, then in, in the early years, so many of the people that are, you know, kind of back in the game now, and it's definitely a much more crowded field now, they just weren't involved then because like I've said, a lot of guys were still licking their wounds, you know, they, they were hurt by the recession and they had to kind of deal with what problems they had and they just weren't there competing for these deals, which made it, you know, it was definitely a little more in my favor that I was able to, to get in that without, you know, like you said, the old boys club, the old boys club had, had been hurt. Um, so they were a little bit sidelined for a year or two while they figured out what they were going to do next. And that was when I was able to kind of get in there. That's, that's an interesting, uh, did you recognize that as an opportunity up front or is that more of a retrospect thing? Um, I, I, that I actually did. That was actually one of the deciding factors was at the time was just knowing that, you know, I'd, I'd seen, you know, in my own family guys getting hurt um, by the recession. So I just knew that, that people that had the ability and the knowledge to do what I wanted to do weren't doing it at that moment. Um, and that that wasn't going to last forever. Like that was going to be a small window in time because, you know, they're smart guys. Um, they're going to figure it out. And once they do figure it out, they're going to be back. And I, I knew that, that that wouldn't last forever. So that was kind of my motivation to to do it right then and not when you asked about, you know, not waiting. Like it was, there was a time to, to seize that opportunity. That's, yeah. 
hundred percent agree. Well, I'm fantastic that you recognize that because I, I would say that that is something that most people would not be able to get out of their own way enough to recognize. They're too worried about how young they look or how few deals they have or have done or what have you. And, and you saw that as like, if I'm ever going to get in, this is the path of least resistance. So let's hit it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's that dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Right. Like mm. if you're worried about how many deals, their credibility and all that, you're not going to have a bunch of deals under your belt until you have a bunch of deals under your belt. So, yep. and, and maybe it's, you know, your first one and, and your second one, they don't all have to be huge, right? Like you just need to start acquiring them. Um, you know, I remember one of the, one of the guys I was talking to early on when I wanted to create a recurring revenue model of doing these deals, one of the deals I had done, it wasn't going to yield very much annually, like in the way it was structured. I mean, you know, really not very much uh, every year. And he looked at me and you can't live off that. And I was like, well, absolutely. You can't live off that. I was like, couldn't even pay my rent off of that. Right. But you know, if I had 15 of these, then that's another story, but you're not going to get 15 on the same day. Right. Like you need to start, doing one after the other. Um, and that's the only way you're going to do it is just by doing it. Totally. And, you know, I was listening to uh, another one of the interviews that I had done because I wanted to, there was something I was trying to prepare for this one that I thought would be poignant, which I'm glad you just brought that up. Uh, there's, there's kind of, especially in this industry, in real estate, but in many, of course, there, there's, there's like a certain amount of time that things take. And, you know, you have to acquire a certain amount of knowledge or skills or connections or some combination of all of that uh, in order to, to really play at a high level. Um, for you in your journey, do you, do you have a sense of like when you felt like you really started to, to get it and get in, in the groove and in the club and, uh, in whatever else you might feel like you're in now? That's a great question. And I think, I mean, answering it now, it's definitely one of those things that I think I recognize in hindsight and maybe not so much in the moment. Um, you know, I was very kind of in a, you know, move forward pattern and acquisition mode. And I wanted to keep doing what I was doing. So at the time, um, I mean, I'm sure you can probably relate to this just from your athleticism, but it's like when you're training for something and doing something, you're maybe not pausing to like look at kind of that current achievement you have because you probably have another goal that's on your plate right then and you're trying to work toward it. Um, but then you could look back on it and say, man, like at, the, at that moment, like I was in great shape, like I was doing well and, you know, the statistics were great. But uh, at the time you were still achieving trying to achieve something even further. So I don't think I recognize anything at the moment, but, but when you, when I started kind of putting things together and finding success in what I was doing, it allowed more doors to be open that I don't, that you might not necessarily plan for. And mm -hmm. I think that you need to be able to be ready to adapt to those things because the things that are going to come, if you're working your plan, things will come that, maybe you didn't plan on and mm -hmm. you need to be ready to adapt to that and, and make that the new opportunity. Totally. And, you know, I, I think one of the, the knocks against the millennials or the younger generation, which, which were more, you're in the millennial generation, right? I think you're right on that 
that older edge. Right. I mean, just my wife and I joke about it because I see, I see both sides. Like we're that first year of it and it's, yeah. you know, I definitely relate to all the millennials and then I can like see the other side of uh, all the naysayers. Yeah. Well, what I, what I was going to say is we are, you know, generally thought of as like, we can't you know, delay gratification where we want it now instant, instant gratification. And, um, you know, we, we aren't willing to put in our time and we jump around to different jobs and stuff. Like you've been at this for now 10 years and you started it uh, fairly early on in your life, the apartment and real estate investing. Like how did you look at your trajectory at the time and then as you went through to, to know that you were still on track to, to keep yourself motivated through some of the failures or, or, or setbacks? Right. Um, absolutely. And this is going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to have to side on the other side here, not with the millennials, unfortunately, but uh, I think seeing what I saw close in my family, when I said I saw guys get hurt within my family in the recession, I, I did. And, you know, my dad was more kind of big time developer and, and, you know, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time when the recession hit. So I was going to look when I was kind of saying what I wanted to do and thinking about it, seriously I didn't want to have that risk where it could just all be wiped out from you in one day and it was kind of at that time that I really kind of distinguished the difference between and I think that there's a very big difference between getting rich and getting wealthy and you know getting rich is you can make a lot of money at one time um, doing you know a variety of things but those same things you can if it dries up or something happens, you can lose a lot of money at one time, but wealth, you know, from guys I was talking to and, and things I was reading in history and, you know, wealth is created over time, which goes against that instant gratification model. But it's one of those things where you can start to build it and it might not be something too lucrative right when you deliver it, but over time, it's going to produce more and more and more and more. And that's really where, when I got into the apartment model, things like that, these weren't things that, you know, day one were these giant windfall paydays, but, you know, as you assemble them and as, you know, they get time weathered, um, they do become more valuable and, and there's more of an annuity style to it. And patience is definitely something that I would tell anybody getting started is there is ways to make quick money, but, once you spend that money, it's gone. And mm -hmm. I think you, anything you do, you've got to have a little bit of patience and you've got to have a little bit of perseverance for it to really pan out into something that's going to have a little more solid of a foundation for you to rely on and not just a, a quick buck that comes and goes, but something that's going to be stronger and, and there for you, you know, kind of year over year. That's uh, a really fantastic uh, explanation. Thank you. Speaking of the millennial kind of mindset, there's definitely a conversation in, in our generation around following your passion and the money will come and, and that sort of thing. In your experience, like how important is passion uh, relative to your business? Um, I mean, in, in my personal case, it's, it's everything. I, I agree with that. You know, I mean, it, it depends on what your passion is. Hopefully there's a way to make it profitable. You know, that's kind of the caveat, I, you know, yep. but um, I couldn't do just 
kind of the way that, you know, the cloth I'm cut from, if, if I don't like it or I'm not interested in it, like it's like pulling teeth to get me to do it. Um, so going to work somewhere that like didn't resonate with me would just be painful every day. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if you're passionate about something and you enjoy doing it, like I, I want to do this, like I, you, you'll, you'll want to dive in, you'll want to explore further. You'll want to kind of poke around and, and see what else is there you know, just in this field, because you're genuinely curious about it. And the curiosity and the passion, I think, are huge on, on finding success, because you don't really, it, it, it takes a lot of the work out of trying to motivate yourself, right, is you don't have to push to be motivated if, if you're going to be self-motivated by something that you're truly passionate about, you're going to want to do it. So I, I think that, you know, tracing your passion is, you know, you've got to take that with a grain of salt. I agree with it from that millennial standpoint that you should be passionate about something and, and do what you love, but it's also got to be able to, you've got to make it work for you too. Like it, you can't just say traveling is my passion and I'm going to go travel. Um, unless you can figure out how to make it a, some type of, you know, be a travel guide or a blogger, or I don't know what that's, yeah, that's yeah. not my forte, but yeah, you got to, you can't just use that as an excuse to, to be lazy. You've got to, find a way to make your passion actually work for you. And, and that's where I was just about to go with this. So thank you for the segue is, you know, the, the passion certainly has to be profitable, as you said, and certainly is something that um, you have to believe in or or want to do to, to get up and succeed at. And I think that's true in my story, clearly in your story as well, but that doesn't, give you a get out of jail free card when it comes to like just doing things that you don't like or having um, tasks or, or stretches of time that you're stuck doing, you know, grunt work, if you will. Uh, Cause I, I think there needs to be a distinction between like always enjoying and being fired up for what you're doing every single day and, you know, grinding through from time to time. Can you, can you elaborate on that distinction a little bit and how that's played out in your world? Yeah, absolutely. And then there is, you know, I, I do love what I do, but there is a lot of pieces that come with the business that, you know, you're not going to like, and you're not going to want to do, but like you said, you've got to buckle down and do it. Um, you know, I, I used to joke with my dad uh, when I was you know first starting and I didn't know what to, to call myself. It was just a one man operation. I was, you know, making the business cards. And I was like, what do I put on my business card? Like, I, you know, I don't have a position <laughs> And, yeah. you know, like, you, know you, you, you could put janitor on that because, you know, you're coming to work every day and cleaning that messes like it's, you know, that, that's what you do until you figure it out. And we joked about that for a while, but it is. I mean, there's parts and things that you're not going to want to do that, that you have to do. And for me, um, you know, the investment side, the acquisition side, financing and underwriting these deals is, is a passion of mine. And uh, that's that's my niche. But property management isn't. And you know, the joke that the running joke I have with people that are close to me know is, you know, well, I accidentally built a property management company um, because now I have a you know, full blown property management company with, you know, bookkeeping, leasing agents, <laughs> the, the whole shop. But um, that wasn't something I set out to do or really even realized like was going to be so instrumental in, in my future. But as I started acquiring more and more property, I realized, you know what, I can't, 
you know, reconcile all these books. I can't pay all these bills. I can't show all these units. Like that's, and that's, that wasn't, that wasn't the piece that, that I got in the business for, right? Like I didn't get in there to, to be showing the apartments and to be doing the maintenance and to be doing that. And it was, there, there was, you know, a point in time over a year period where I really had to buckle down and figure out how am I going to overcome this property management piece? Am I going to, you know, just get rid of it and, and hire third party property managers to do it? Or are we going to bring this on in house and, you know, keep as close to the vest like was always the idea with these uh, assets. And that was a piece that took, you know, learning for me and took, you know, mentorship and advice because although it's part of the business, it wasn't the part of the business. that was my, you know, the, the piece that I'd set out to say like, this is what I want to do. It was just part that came with it and that mm-hmm. you had to buckle down and do it in order for it to work or because without the management side, the truth is, you know, without property management, you're not going to be able to, to run commercial real estate. And um, for me, that was the piece that I had to buckle down and say, I'm going to do it no matter what. And one, one thing I want to highlight out of that story that I, I find is so interesting is you took something that you disliked and probably the part of this business that you disliked the most, if, if I'm gathering from your story correctly, <laughs> um, and, you, and you literally turned that into a business. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and I think that like, there's sort of two ways to look at this of one is like, yes, I dislike this. So I'm going to get as far away from that as possible. That might be sort of the typical or the, the, the way that most people think of millennials, like I, I don't like doing whatever. So I'm going to quit and go find a way to not do that. But you took that as like, let's buckle down and figure out a way to solve this problem because, you know, like the alarm bell in that moment should be going like, if, if I don't like this, then probably other people don't like this. So if I can figure out a solution to that problem, I can monetize it and turn it into something in my business. And, and it just so happens that it's really critical for you. But I think that's also an opportunity for others to recognize when there's pain, there's solution, and then there's a way to monetize it if you want to look at it just solely from a business perspective. Right. And I, I think it's a huge opportunity. I mean, you know, it's that goes back to that, that pain is temporary. And, um, you know, like you said earlier with the instant gratification, one of the things that my dad always harped on you know, from the time we were young was like, in order to manage something, you have to have done it before. Um, you know, hence why I had those jobs when I was younger of, of actually, you know, framing because, you know, I wanted to go into construction, but, you know, he was like, you're, you're not going to be in construction unless you've done construction. Like you don't just get to come to the table and be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to run the show. He's like, that's not how it works. And when we were talking about, you know, people taking you seriously when you're younger and, and overcoming those obstacles, you have to do these things that you don't want to do. Uh, they don't last forever. And it, it's easier to say that looking back on them. Cause at the time when you're looking at it, like that's all you're doing. And the next day you're probably going to do it again. And you're just like, when's this going to end? It will end, but you have to do that. And when you do, you're better for it because the credibility that comes with it, that, that I just see from the day to day, um, it's huge. I mean, when, when I go onto one of these job sites and, you know, people, yeah, I'm older now and, and they don't know my background and, and they may just think that I own this, that I'm the owner or the investor or whatever they think. Um, 
and something's being built and, and you can see where, you know, a corner has been cut or you can see where something's not done right or that you can see there's going to be an issue um, and, and you can problem solve it right there. It's huge. And, and, and their whole kind of persona about you change when, when one of those types of things happen, because if you're able to troubleshoot something before it's a problem versus, you know, if, if you've never done it before, you might not see it. And then it's only going to be a problem down the road and it will be a bigger problem. So doing those things that are hard and doing those things you don't want to do, um, you're then able to say that you've done it and you know how it works. And that, that brings huge value into what you're doing because you'll be able to manage a team that's doing the things that you might not want to do anymore. Um, you're able to manage them more efficiently. And you, you, you know their job because you've done their job. And I think that that's very important in, in any industry. It goes back to what your mentor said early on in your in your journey of like, if you stick with it, you get into the trenches and you'll come out with a PhD. And I don't know that he meant exactly about property management per se, but you know, when you get in there and you try and you, and you, and you get out into the real world, quote unquote, and you, you fail and you move forward and then you try it a different way and maybe you succeed like that education and that whole process is what builds up an amazing career. 100%. And it helps you from getting taken advantage of because if you know, you know, if you know the other guy's job and you know what they're doing like, and you know how it works, like you're not as easily going to be pushed over or just kind of, you know, told something's maybe untrue because, because you understand that you've done it and it, it really allows you to see clearly into all aspects of your business. That's amazing. Well, Josh, we've been chatting now for a few minutes here and I uh, definitely want to respect your time, but I've got one more question for you before we head into our final round uh, of, of questions and wrap it up for the day. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my question is around failure, because I think that that is something that, you know, generally speaking, especially with Instagram and Facebook and social media and the, the news the way it is, like everyone wants to produce present their best face and talk about how great everything has been and how much success they've had. Can you talk about a moment of failure or something that didn't go the way you wanted it and then what you learned from it and, and sort of how you built, you know, built that into your success uh, travel or path here? There's two parts to that question. There's, you know, failure and then some maybe a mistake that was made or something you have to overcome or is that, you know, is there failure and how others perceive you to be failure when you talk about like Instagram and stuff like that. And I think in two fronts, the more that you, you build yourself up, I mean, if I had advice for anybody starting out or doing anything, it's going to be to stay nimble, um, you know, stay humble. Don't get out over your skis. Don't, I wouldn't get too flashy with, with trying to perceive success before you've had it because when you really, when, when you find it and when you really do comes, I think a lot of people are going to find they actually don't want all that attention that, that they're maybe trying to drum up before they had it. Um, because it, it's just going to create you know, more, more problems than you want. When I think it's uh, maybe flying under the radar is sometimes a better approach, a little more stealth is in my opinion, I, I like to operate that way. Um, I think it just works better when you can be a little, a little less uh, on everyone's radar. But I think when you make a mistake or have a failure where, you know, you hear a lot when a lot of the stuff I've read where they talk about, you know, these CEOs are so successful because, but, but they, you know, their first 10 businesses failed and they learn from, from those mistakes. 
Um, a mistake and a failure is, is really only valuable if you learn from it and catch it right away. Where, you know, if you're doing something that maybe you made a mistake in business and it's causing you to fail, but you still try to drag it on and, and you do drag it on. And then when it finally does kind of sever you, you don't realize what the failure was because it was so far back. So I think when you make a mistake and, and yeah, I, I, there was definitely mistakes uh, made along the way. You know, I, I think for me, I'm trying to think, you know, I had some bad, uh, some bad hires early on, um, you know, maybe a little too trusting. Uh, and that, that came around full circle. And then you, I really realized I needed to really maybe find a different approach to, to finding, you know, who kind of gets led into the circle here because you, you're really trusting those people with, with a lot of what's, what you've got going, right? So um, when you do make those mistakes, I think it's very valuable to try to recognize it very quickly um, and learn from it and not, not really take it one of the things i think that was learning for me was admitting the mistake quickly and not trying to figure out like why it might not be a mistake and maybe it was caused by something else and, and just actually realizing you know what this was the wrong choice let's acknowledge it move on make the right choice and learn from that um and not try to point fingers and and uh blame it on something else that's probably not the reason that it happened in the first place. Fantastic. Well, thank you for, for digging in on that and those, those multiple parts. Um, you know, I could definitely sit here and, and chat about real estate <laughs> and the process and all of that for a really long time. But unfortunately, I don't think you have all day with, with me. So thank you for your time. But um, appreciate that. With that, uh, let's uh, dive into the focus five, which is the last five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Uh, sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as ready as you'll ever be. So you mentioned yeah, books yeah. earlier. What is one book that you've gifted most often? Book that I've gifted most often. Um, the book that I've gifted, uh, I actually was given two books to... Um, to some, some guys I've worked with for a few years for a while back. They're actually, one's probably right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Boys on the Boat and Deep Down Dark. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you're familiar with the Boys on the Boat book. That's, you know, about the University of Washington crew team. Um, Deep Down Dark is about the 36 Chilean miners that got trapped. And both of those were, were great examples of team building leadership from, from guys that, you know, we're forced to come together to accomplish something. Fantastic. Uh, if you yep. could get an hour of somebody's time past or present live or dead and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Oh man, with no context that, uh, all right. Um, you know, maybe someone like, uh, like Henry Ford, you know, he, he revolutionized so much with like the assembly line and, uh, you know, the five day work week and the $5 minimum wage, just pick his brain on, you know, how he took an idea and grew something and, and scaled it. So, you know, he did such an amazing job with that. I'd be very interested in <laughs> what the process was like along the way. Awesome. What is one thing you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Uh, that most people would disagree with me on. Um, 
I mean, I think the question should be, what's your, what would one thing that anyone agrees with you on? Um, <laughs> uh, I think sometimes in my approach, uh, I, I have ways of doing things. I think that maybe people think can come off uh, uneasy, but I think that there's, there's reasons in, in why I approach the things that I approach it. And, and I guess I approach different things with, I don't always approach things the same way as what I'm trying to say. So sometimes it's, you know, with a, a big smile and sometimes it might be a little more standoffish. It just kind of depends on what it is. But I think that that's, there's, there's more to it than just kind of what you see on the face. And, and I think sometimes that's off putting the people. Now that you've got the new baby, this may be a different answer than it would have been a couple months ago, but how do you, like, what's your morning routine look like? How do you start your day? Oh man. Now it's uh yeah, you're right now it's with the fire alarm going off, but um, no, before, I mean, I was very, very much in, uh, I still am a routine type of person. And I think that this is very important, uh, you know, in working for yourself and with anything, I, I would get up and I worked out every morning. Um, that's not so important, but if that's not your thing, very important to me that just helped clear my mind to, you know, kind of get my blood flowing and get my energy right for the day and getting up and getting dressed and going to, to my office. Um, I was not the type of person that can be on my couch and sweats with a laptop. Uh, even if I didn't have anything like on the docket that day, you know, you get up, get dressed and go. And somehow by five o'clock, like I look back and I'm like, how did that day, you know, get so busy? <laughs> um, but it only happens if you get up and get out there. And, and that's, I think that that routine is huge. So get up, get a workout in and, and just go. And go. Fantastic. Josh, appreciate your time today. Uh, what is the place online that we can connect with you the most? Um, I mean, just direct email. I'm not really online that much. Kind of, I mean, I've got a LinkedIn profile, but my, my email is, I'm, I'm always in my inbox. Always, always in the inbox. And then what's, what's the URL or the, the website where we can find your email and, and connect with you. If, if someone wants to learn more about your investing or um, you know, some of the stuff that you have going on in your, in your business. Yeah, I'll give you my direct email um, and you can link it up there. And then my company website is just dsbinvestments.com and um, that's how you can find us. Fantastic. So we've got dfpinvestments.com. We'll also link in the show notes to LinkedIn and the email. Uh, so if you want to connect with Josh a little bit more intimately, you can do so there. And, um, and I appreciate you being on and I'm glad we finally got this recorded. This has been a long time coming and you definitely did not disappoint. Oh, Hans, I really appreciate you taking the time, putting this together and, um, you know, dropping a little wisdom for all of us out there that, that tune into this kind of stuff. Cause I think you know, we can all benefit from everybody else pitching in. So thank you. hundred percent agree. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you. And that wraps it up for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you uh, want to connect with Josh Moore, I have dropped his LinkedIn and his URL to his website in the show notes. Uh, so you can go find him there. And uh, remember if you get uh, any value out of this or other episodes I put out, I'd really appreciate a written rating and review. It'd mean a lot to me uh, as well as giving feedback. It uh, helps with the algorithms on Apple so more people can find this show. 
And uh, while you're down in the show notes connecting with Josh, uh, look for my Calendly link and grab a time on my calendar uh, so that you and I can connect. Uh, We can get to know each other a little better. And I would also like to take that opportunity to uh, find out how I can keep making this podcast better, uh, by what questions I should ask, what guests we should get on, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, without any further ado, I look forward to talking to you then. But this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, signing off. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.